Omega Man Radio has been commissioned to invade deep into enemy territory, drive out the hosts of hell, and take back the land. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only name written under heaven by which men might be saved, cast out demons, and pray for the sick that they may be healed in Jesus' name. If this program is a blessing to you and you would like to take part in this harvest of souls, join with us and attack the hosts of hell by donating any amount online at www.omegamanradio.com. You may also donate by sending check or money order to 9030 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 665, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89117. We thank you. Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America, Babylon. And transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite. You are listening to Omega Man Radio Network. With Shannon Davis. Broadcast started. Coming up next, Evangelist Victor Mravlag. Here we go. Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, you can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Today's Friday, November 10th, 2023. Okay, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, a few days ago. Um, We're going to be in the book of Joshua today, picking up with Joshua 16. And I also have an audio I want to play for you, interview with a guy named Trevor Deering. Got an amazing testimony. He was an exorcist slash deliverance minister for many decades in the UK. I recently discovered him and his ministry, and... uh, Sadly, he went home to be with Jesus in the last two years, and I missed him. But he lived a long life and left behind a great legacy of deliverance teaching and books. So uh, we'll put the uh, 
audio up there for you in a little bit. Let's pray. Father, Yehovah, the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Forgive us of all our sins, known and unknown, back to the very first thought, word, deed, gesture, and action. We invite the Holy Spirit of God to come. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, teach us your word, illuminate the scripture for us. God, show us things that we know not. Give us wisdom, knowledge, understanding, retention of the word, comprehension. Surround us with your warrior angels, we pray. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over Saul. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Okay. Joshua chapter 16. And the lot of the children of Joseph fell from Jordan by Jericho unto the water of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goeth up from Jericho throughout Mount Bethel, and goeth out from Bethel to Luz, and passeth along unto the borders of Archie to Atheroth, and goeth down westward to the coast of Jephleti, unto the coast of Beth Horon the Nether, and to Gezer. And the goings out thereof are at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. And the border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. Even the border of their inheritance on the east side was Atroth Hadar, unto Beth Horon, the upper. And the border went out toward the sea to Mikmetha, on the north side. And the border went about eastward unto Tanath Shiloh, and passed by it on the east to Janoha. And it went down from Janoha to Ataroth and to Narath, and came to Jericho and went out at Jordan. The border went out from Tapua westward unto the river Kana. And the goings out thereof were at the sea. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim by their families. And the separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh. All the cities with their villages. And they drave not out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Chapter 17. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit, for Maker, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore he had Gilead and Bashan. There was also a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families, for the children of Abiezer, and for the children of Helik, and for the children of Azrael, and for the children of Shechem, for the children of Hefer, for the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their families. But Zeliophahad, that's a 
Let's try that one again. Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of... I'm going to call it Mashir, not Maker. The son of Manasseh had no sons, but daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala and Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the princes, saying, Yahovah commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of Yahovah, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And there fell ten portions to Manasseh, beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of Jordan. Because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the coast of Manasseh was from Asher to Mikmatha, that lieth before Shechem. And the border went along on the right hand unto the inhabitants of Entapua. Now Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the coast descended unto the river Cana, southward of the river. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The coast of Manasseh also was on the north side of the river, and the outgoings of it were at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, and northward it was Manasseh's, and the sea is his border. And they met together in Asher on the north, and in Issachar on the east. Let me stop right there. You know, it would be good that that the United Nations would get a hold of the Bible and begin to read it. And if everybody who is interested in knowing the truth about the war going on between Israel and the terrorist group Hamas, probably Hezbollah next, they would read the Bible, they would see what God has decreed. Gaza belongs to Israel, just as Lebanon and many other swaths of land. It's spelled out here in Scripture. All that a person needs to do is read it. And if God says it, that's the end of the matter, as far as I'm concerned. Let the word of God be true, every man a liar. But you see, we have people that don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible as his inspired word. And uh, they can care less what God says because these people are reprobate. They're servants of Satan. And we've said it before, we'll say it again. Everybody needs to read the Bible so you can get your facts straight. And once the Bible settles the matter, then that should be the end of the discussion. Yeah, we got people in the church who think they can tell God what to do. And they think they know better than God what he should do with the land that he created. And they don't care or respect that God gave this land to Israel. And they think it should be given to another people. Well, you're cursed with a curse if you believe that way because Genesis 12.3 says, if you bless my people, I bless you. If you curse my people, I curse you. And if you speak against Israel and you want to try to go against the decree of the land to the 
Israelites, you will find yourself fighting against God. And I wouldn't give you two cents for your life. Because who can fight against God and win? It's time for people to repent. It's time for people to shut their mouths and sit their buttocks down that are out there protesting. And if they don't, hell awaits. Followed by the lake of fire, which burns forever. Some people don't believe in that either. Because they're heretics. If you don't believe the King James is God's word in English Bible, in English language, you're a heretic. That's the bottom line here. God was able to preserve his word and did a great job of it. Let's keep going. Okay. Yeah, those are strong words. But I speak the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm not going to apologize for God's word or for God. What he says is all that matters. It's the end of the discussion. I stand with Israel and it's right to every square inch that God gave them. Okay. We're going to keep going here. People need to read this. It's very clear and very detailed. And I'd like to see someone, and maybe they have one out there somewhere, produce a historical map with a layout of the land and uh, color-coded according to the the tribes. Uh, Some names change over time. But I'm sure there's a map out there somewhere where we could just lay it out and you could see very clearly all the land that God has deeded to Israel. And you'll find out that they don't have most of it at this juncture, but they're going to get it one day. And they're going to live at peace. No one ever disenfranchise them again. Okay, but those that are against Israel won't be living at peace. They're going to be in the largest prison on planet Earth in the bowels of the Earth, a place called hell. It's death row for those that are waiting the final sentencing to be thrown into the lake of fire once they have their day in court at the great white throne judgment. Of course, it probably won't be a very long court appearance. And then the angel comes over and grabs that person and just chucks them right into the lake of fire. Okay, here we go. Now Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the coast descended unto the river Kana, southward of the river. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The coast of Manasseh also was on the north side of the river, and the outgoings of it were at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, and northward it was Manasseh's, and the sea is his border. And they met together in Asher on the north and in Issachar on the east. And Manasseh had in Issachar and in Asher Bethshean and her towns and Ibliam and her towns and the inhabitants of Dor and her towns and the inhabitants of Endor and her towns and the inhabitants of Tanakh and her towns and the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, even three countries. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxen strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, 
That means they made them uh, pay taxes, but did not utterly drive them out. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot, and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people? For as much as Jehovah hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut it down for, their, for thyself, there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants. If Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both they who are of Beth Shean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, forest, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. We're just doing two chapters today. What I want to do now is I'm going to play for you a broadcast I found on YouTube. The the YouTube channel is called Deliverance Radio Ministry. They posted this about a year ago. I'll put a link to them, and I hope they don't mind me playing this. We're going to advertise the uh, channel that they did, and um, I'm very thankful to this interview they have posted. gave me a little bit of background on this minister name Trevor Deering. I hope you enjoy this. After this obnoxious, obnoxious commercials over, that is. Here we go. This is Wilbur Fitzgerald. Welcome to the program. And on behalf of James Horner and all the team, we're really delighted to have you as part of our listening family for the next half hour. Now, on the program, we will be hearing the remarkable, truly remarkable story of a man who found healing through the power of Jesus Christ and went on to have a dynamic healing ministry of his own in the Anglican Church. But that's after we've heard from the voice of Denise Williams and a song which expresses a desire for a life of faith and witness and a close relationship with Jesus Christ in the words of My Soul Desire. I want to tell you about the most wonderful, loving marvelous Heavenly Father that we have. What a wonderful Lord we have in Jesus. And I want to tell you this not from any book or from any theories or from any of the academic degrees which I have attained in theological colleges. I want to tell you this from my own experience. What a wonderful God we have and how glorious it is and life transforming it is to know him you see I didn't come to know anything about God until I was 19 years of age I wasn't brought up in a Christian home and I didn't sit in a church at all until I was 19 
But when I sat, it was a Methodist church, a great big auditorium of a place with not many people in, in the city of Hull in Yorkshire, where I was born. And I sat there on that Sunday evening, and I was desperately ill. I'd had my first mental breakdown when I was 11 years of age. From that tender age, I suffered with dreadful, what I call terrors. I was terrified of living and terrified of so many things, and I couldn't go out of the house because I was terrified to leave home or go to school and eventually couldn't go to work. I used to sit when I was 12 years of age with my head between my knees, lost in depression, unable to communicate with anybody. The world, when I was young, wasn't a nice place to live in. It was frightening. And I laid at night awake because I couldn't sleep, trembling and perspiring with fear. And uh, the days, I didn't know which I dreaded most, the days or the nights, because both were filled with terror. I didn't know what I was afraid of, really, but I, I was just in a constant state of panic. Because that's a growing age, I was very, very thin. And eventually I began to walk with a stoop, and my back was bent. I had an ashen white face and black rings round my eyes, and I looked like, they used to call me the little old man when I was 13 and 14, walking down the road, losing most of my hair with alopecia and having a bad heart and eventually TB, and I was so desperately sick and I had no future. A doctor said, my parents would have to look after me all my life and that I wouldn't live very long after the age of 20. And so it was that I sat there in that church. I, I didn't know the hymns. I didn't know when to stand up or when to sit down. My father had had to take me in the car, but he wasn't a Christian. He wouldn't come into the church. I sat near the door because I always sat near a door because I always felt I had to run, but I didn't know where I was going to run to, but I just had to feel I was able to run and escape to where I didn't know. And as I sat there, I didn't understand much of what was happening, but this preacher, Reverend William Watts, I remember his name, he said, Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And as I sat there, I just whispered half aloud, Jesus Christ, if you're really alive, as this man says, if you are really here, and I don't know that you are, but if you are, please help me. But I, I don't have a life. And as I sat there, suddenly this wonderful sense of what I now recognize was peace flooded over me. My body began to glow, and it seemed that 
Jesus Christ was no longer someone who lived 2,000 years ago, someone in a book. He, he seemed to become so real to me. He was more real than anyone else alive. And I went out of the church to my father in the car, and I said, uh, Dad, I said, Jesus is alive, and I'm going to be well. And I always remember what he said. He said, never mind, son, I'll get you home quick. Uh, we have another problem now. And he said to my mother, he's got religious mania, and he's only been in church an hour. But within three weeks, I was completely healed, miraculously healed, of all my emotional, my nervous breakdowns, my depression, my back began to straighten up. I began to put on weight. There was a glow in my cheeks. I was going to work. Jesus healed me and gave me a life when I didn't know him. And I didn't even deserve him to do it, but he did it out of his gracious love. For his love is as great as his power. And he gave me a life. My father was the first one to notice the difference. And he came and sat in the bathroom one day and I was getting shaved. And said, Trevor, I've seen a miracle. You found Jesus. Can you help your dad to find the same Jesus? Because I've never known him. And I just put my hand on my father's shoulder, my face covered with shaving soap. And I prayed the Lord's Prayer because I didn't know what else to do. But my father became a Christian, then my mother and the family. And it was wonderful. God gave me a life and a future. He didn't ask me to do it in any way. But very quickly, I gave my whole life to him. Because he'd given me a life that I never would have had. And I gave it to him. It was at Cliff College when I was 20 years of age. I was at Bible College where I'd gone and I said, Lord, <coughs> I didn't have a life and I don't know how long my life will be. But I just abandon it to you. Abandon the whole of my life into your service. I don't ask for anything except the privilege of serving you. And so I went through theological colleges and uh, attained honours degrees in philosophy and psychology and I could read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek and, and uh, I went out into the ministry, first of the Methodist Church and then of the Church of England. But by this time... I'd been trained in what's called liberal theology. That had been my training. I'd been told all the things in the Bible I shouldn't believe. And, and, uh, and they'd cast doubts upon many things which I'd held dear. And uh, they seemed reasonable, and I took all this lot in. And I went out as a minister of the church, and I preached theology. I preached theories. And my ministry was a lot of things like social events, like garden fates and model railway exhibition and, and crowning the Sunday school queen and all that kind of thing and church drama group and 
Well, if you're in that kind of a church and you've had that kind of Christianity, you know what I mean. I never saw one person converted to the Lord Jesus Christ in all that time. And despite all my wonderful experience of God and having met a, a lovely Christian woman at Bible College called Anne, to whom I've now been married for 40 years and four children, despite all that of God's blessing, I became frustrated. And I said to Anne, you know, I'm no good as a Christian minister. I'll take my academic learning into education, and I became head of religious education at Passmore's Comprehensive School in Harlow in Essex in the year 1968. But even that wasn't satisfying, and I wasn't really a very good teacher. I could teach, but the kids didn't want to know. Till I came to a point in 1969 where I just felt that although the Lord had done so much for me and had given him my life the best way I knew how, I really wasn't good as a Christian uh, minister. And then my wife went to a Pentecostal church. I had never been to a Pentecostal church. I didn't, what I'd heard about them, I didn't particularly like from my Anglican background, but she went because her brother was seriously ill. And uh, she came back, she'd been three hours in church, and she said she'd never seen Christianity like it. And that aroused my curiosity, so the next night I took her in the car. She'd gone by herself the first night on a bus, because I wouldn't go. And I sat in that little meeting, little pastor, no academic qualifications, worked in the pits, in the mines at night, so he could pastor his church during the day. But during that meeting, I saw a woman who had been 14 years paralyzed in a wheelchair rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And I realized he, despite all my learning, was in a dimension of the Christian faith and ministry that I never knew anything about at all. So I went up to him and I said, where do you get this from? He said, from heaven. Who are you? And I told him. I told him what had happened to me when I was 19. And I told him about my frustrating ministry. And he said, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I said, what's that? Because I didn't know. And he sat me down on one of the front seats of his little church. And he took me through the scriptures and showed me that I, even as an Anglican, and, and for all my failure, could be filled with the Holy Spirit, the same as Peter, Andrew, James, and John on the day of Pentecost. And he said, do you want to receive? I wanted to receive more desperately than anything I could describe. And he took me into a back room and he got four elders and they laid hands upon me and they seemed to be having a wow of a time. They really did. They pressed out on my head. I thought you'd get your neck broken to receive this blessing. And, and they, they, they shouted so loud and it crossed my mind. I don't get an Anglican vicar every week. Maybe that's why they're so excited. And when they'd finished, because they were out of breath, they said to me, how do you feel? And I said, I'm wet because you've sat me on a wet chair. And that was all how I felt. And I was disappointed. But they said, we're sure God will bless you if you seek him. And I realized, looking back, that maybe I 
I hadn't prepared myself and I wasn't really ready to receive this blessing, but their prayers were answered because I went home and I couldn't put my Bible down and it was I was reading it as I'd never read it before. It was no longer black and white, it was colour and three dimensions. It was I'd never seen what I was seeing in it now, despite all my academic learning. And uh, I couldn't stop praying. But if somebody had said to me to receive this blessing, you have to drink the Thames dry, I'd have set off on my hands and knees and started lapping the water. And the prayers of those wonderful men of God was answered on May the 10th, 1969, when I was alone at home, having my long prayer times. And I began to praise the Lord out aloud for all his goodness and his, his blessings. And suddenly my tongue went loose. I lost control of it. I began to shout aloud with a language I didn't understand. Then I began to sing with a voice I barely recognized. And then it seemed the roof came off the house and I was no longer on earth. And I was, I was in the midst of what was like golden light. And my body was shaking as if thousands of volts of electricity were going through it. I, I, I hardly knew what was happening to me. And... Uh, Eventually, I came back to earth. Anne had been out, and she came in. She says, where have you been? Your face is glowing. Oh, I said, I've, I've been to heaven. I said, really, I ought to have left a note for you, gone to heaven back later, because uh, I said, I've become a Pentecost and Anglican. And... Uh, that was a revolutionary experience. The first was my healing. The second was my baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the bishop, I was in teaching, you see, and I said to the bishop, send me to a hard parish because I felt that this, wasn't, this blessing wasn't for me just to have a sort of great time with God with, which I was having, a new dimension in prayer life and everything. But I felt this had to work in the church. This was a gift to the church. So I asked the bishop to send me to a difficult parish. And when I went, I wished he hadn't got the letter. Twelve elderly people in a back street, little like Nissen hut, with a little turret. Nobody knew where it was, even in the next street. It was the, supposed to be the parish church. The organ didn't work. And, uh, as I say, there were 12 elderly Anglicans there. But, at first, I didn't feel, you know, that was the place to go, you know. I, I thought to myself, what about Westminster Abbey or St. Paul's Cathedral, if we're going to be used by God somewhere sensible? But this was a real backstreet housing estate church. Run down, schools were no good for the children, everything seemed to be wrong. But it was Anne, my dear wife, who has always been sensitive to God, who was shot up in the bed at four o'clock in the morning. And she woke me up and she said, Trevor, God's told me that we have to go to St. Paul's Church, Hainal. So we arrived in September 1970, and I shared with these people my experience of the Spirit. And one by one, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, so there were 14 of us, all together, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then, through that little Pentecostal church, the Lord led me into a healing ministry. I laid hands on people there. They were healed. 
So in our little church at Hainal, we put out notices that we were going to have what we call the Power, Praise and Healing Service every Tuesday evening. And 40 people turned up to the first meeting, which was revival for us. And God used my previously failed ministry to work miracles. And we had several converts giving their lives to Jesus as I gave my testimony. Miracles began to happen in this church. One of the healings we sought Hainault, one of the first, was a lady who came from Stamford in Lincolnshire, uh, an invalid. And she was taking 40 tablets a day for her heart to keep her alive and, uh, and for other conditions. And she was desperately sick. And she came in a car from Stamford. She travelled the 90 miles. She was called Gladys Ford. And she told me she had to take these tablets to keep her alive, but she was slowly dying. I laid my hands upon her. She fell on the floor and lay there for maybe 10 minutes. And she got up and said, I know I've been healed. She said, where's the church's toilet for me to pour all my tablets down? Now, these tablets were keeping her alive, so she must have had a a real conviction she was healed. And she went back to Stamford, and um, the doctor examined her and said, I can find no trace of sickness in this woman's body. She told her story to the Stamford Mercury, They had photographs over on the front of the page. Healing hands have saved my life was her testimony. She gave her life to Jesus and lived to a very good age without medication and always giving her testimony. On another occasion, a Salvation Army officer and his wife brought their little baby, born blind. This baby was under the care of Moorfield's Eye Hospital. They said there was no irises in the eyes. The child had glaucoma and never would see. These parents were very distressed. And I remember laying my hands on this little, little thing, little baby, and praying over the child's eyes in the name of Jesus. A week later, we had a telephone call, an excitable one. The parents had taken the child back to Moorfield's Eye Hospital. They said they didn't understand it, but irises had appeared in the baby's eyes. Their glaucoma had gone, and the child could see. And the last contact I had with that family was a photograph of their baby now become a little girl riding her bicycle down the road. Nanette Pierce came from Peterborough and was wheeled into the church in a wheelchair. She had terminal cancer of the spine and was paralyzed from the neck down. I remember 
It was halfway through the service I suddenly felt the spirit upon me, and I ran down the church to her in a wheelchair and commanded her to walk in the name of Jesus. This paralysed woman leapt to her feet in an instant. And um, the Peterborough Evening Telegraph, because she came from Peterborough, because people came from all over the world to that little church, had um, a front-page article, and right across the front page was the word miracle. And they went on to say that Nanette Pierce, whom their readers had subscribed to a fund to bring her back from America to die in England, had gone to a meeting held by this controversial vicar, and um, that she'd been back to Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge, and they could find no trace of cancer anywhere in her. And that woman, in the words of Acts chapter 3, was walking and leaping and praising God. We've seen every kind of sickness healed. And the blind received their sight, the deaf heard, and people leapt out of wheelchairs, and eventually demons were cast out of witches and warlocks, and homosexuals came and wanted to be delivered, and, 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 and drug addicts and alcoholics, and we even had one or two escaped prisoners came. And uh, God was really blessing. He poured out his spirit upon a back street Anglican church through a vicar who had been a washout as a minister. And twelve ordinary Anglican people <laughs> retired, old cockneys. And then we found that we had 200 in the church, then 300. And quickly it became 600, and the church was only built comfortably to hold 180 people. Well, we crammed them in, sitting on windowsills and on the floor and, and behind me as I was preaching. Anywhere we could put a person, a body, they were there. They queued at four o'clock in the afternoon to get into the church. We had 2,000 converts in a year. That was from 1970. And we went on till 1975. By this time... All the press, every newspaper in England visited the church, wrote stories about it. Even the News of the World wrote a, an article as they went around the estate and found people who had been miraculously healed. And they wrote an article called The Astonishing World of Trevor the Vicar. The television cameras came in May 1975 and a, a, a broadcaster of, uh, uh, of the church at its height, a television program went out in May 1975, called Dr. Jesus. But we were being asked to take this ministry all over England. The Bishop of Singapore, Chu Banit, asked us to take the message to his diocese in Singapore. Miracles, miracles, miracles. Transformed lives. Outpourings of the Spirit. People being filled with the Spirit. New ministries being... And so, if you've been blessed and encouraged by the program or need special prayer, help or information, then our address to write to is as follows. Letters at deliveranceproadcasting.org 
That's letters at deliveranceproadcastingalloneword.org. And so on behalf of all my friends in the studio team, it's goodbye for now and God bless you all, wherever you are. <laughs>